atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman and Kirk Crosby live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that I refuse to use, no doubt, continues now. This is September 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2019. This is our two of two in our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Patrick Simmons, righttowork.org with us. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. All right. Yesterday was Labor Day. Apropos time to have you on, wouldn't you say? Certainly, yes. Uh, you know, Labor Day... Is, uh, is a good time. We, we like to uh, use it to expose forced unionism, remind people it should be about workers and their individual rights. Of course, uh, big labor tries to hijack it, and, and a lot of the media goes along with that, likes to make it about the unions and the union bosses. But, but we like to focus on the individual liberty of workers, uh, their freedom, their freedom to, to work um, and uh, support their families and uh, and everything like that. So it's it's a good opportunity to contrast these two visions: uh, one of of compulsion and, and government uh, intervention, and the other of individual rights and, and worker freedom. So, absolutely. I got a great email. It says, "Stand up to big labor on Labor Day." Yeah, we we sent that out, and um, you know, there's there's a lot in there. But one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that. Uh, union bosses have a special exemption from federal law for extortion and racketeering. Uh, the Hobbs Act is what covers that, and there was a, a 1973 Supreme Court case called Edmund, uh where the U.S. Supreme Court said that uh, federal extortion and racketeering law does not apply to unions when the thing they're trying to extort um, is a, quote, legitimate uh, union objective. So what you have is... Um, Unions can basically get away with extortion. Uh, they cannot be prosecuted under federal law as long as what they're going for is something that perhaps in, in another way they could get through a legal means. And uh, it's a big problem, and it, it gives unions uh, an extra ability to, to engage in violence and, and coercion uh, around, uh, you know, labor contracts, uh, that sort of thing, slicing tire, you know, slashing tires, threatening workers on the picket lines. Uh, that's the, and uh, so we see that a lot, and uh, so we're we're trying to to raise a little attention for that. The Freedom from Union Violence Act, which would close that loophole in federal law, is going to be introduced soon, and, and so we wanted to kind of make sure everyone knows this is a problem. Union violence is a real problem, and um, there is a solution out there as well, though. Now, Mark Mix is from your organization, right? Yes. And Mark is the one who emailed me, standing up to big labor on Labor Day. I think it's an important issue for people to realize, and I, I get that you know a lot of people don't have all day uh, on Labor Day to work on this, but I do think it's important to highlight and understand the epic battle we're talking about. The battle we're talking about is, you know what, freedom to choose uh, versus this forced agenda. And it's amazing to me, the second people really understand what we're talking about, they agree with us. But the problem is the media has made this such a confusing topic. Yeah, you're you're right, and um, you know we did ha- we have the Labor Day statement. People can go to nrtw.org or righttowork.org. They can view uh, Mark quick video statements, just a couple minutes. Uh, but but the gist of it is that you know America is is failing to respect the individual rights of American workers right now, and we should honor workers by trusting them to decide.
decide for themselves whether or not to affiliate with a union. So uh, you and I have talked about this a lot, Sam, but workers who want to join a union, we're fine with that, as long as it's voluntary. Workers who want to pay money to a union, that's their choice. It needs to be voluntary. The problem and what National Right to Work is all about is stopping the coercion that goes along with that. Millions of Americans are forced to pay dues to a union every day, and they'll be fired if they don't. Uh, millions more Americans are, are forced under union representation, even if they oppose that union representation and think they could get a better deal on their own, um, you know, absent union work rules and that sort of thing. Um, and we are disrespecting American workers by taking the choice away from them and replacing it with government coercion. And that, that's what that message is, is really all about. Um, and right to work would, would be a significant step towards making union affiliation voluntary instead of based on government coercion. Um, the headline on your website says National Right to Work President Urges Voluntary, Not Coercive Unionism. On Labor Day 2019, I think that highlights exactly what we're talking about. Uh, we're not against unions, folks, but we want voluntary, non-coercive. We don't want compulsory unions. We want voluntary. And, and how come they oppose that so much? I actually believe, to be honest with you, if these unions were aligned with the people's will, I think they would do better and grow faster if it was voluntary and if it didn't have this Gestapo-type tactic to it or the mafia-type behavior or the violence component or the deceptive, dishonest component that angers people. And I think if they were open and honest, you could have voluntary unions that would grow. I, I really believe that. I think How you're right. I think one of the things that uh, that we point out when we're advocating for right to work is that, you know, in the long run, this, this could make unions stronger because this will force them to be responsive to the people they actually represent. Um, you know, in the short run, they may have, find it easier and they have more power because they can force everyone to pay them and they don't have a choice. But in the long run, a voluntary institution um, would make them a stronger institution because you know, they'll know that the workers who are paying them, they're doing so because they actually get value out of what the union offers, not simply because they're too scared to, to lose their job if they don't pay. And, you know, in the past, uh, even some union officials understood this. Uh, Samuel Gompers, and this is in the statement uh, that you're referencing that Mark Mix made for Labor Day. Um, Samuel Gompers founded the American Federation of Labor and was later president of the AFL-CIO, and he, and he wrote... I want to urge devotion to the fundamentals of human liberty, the principles of voluntarism. No lasting gain has ever come from compulsion. And that's the guy who founded what is now the AFL-CIO. Um, and he understood that, you know, forcing workers is not a long-term uh, solution. To, and it'll actually, you know, it makes them weaker. And they should use, uh, you know, voluntarism and, and getting people to say, hey, you know, joining a union really would be a good use of my money, and, and they're, they're an organization that I actually voluntarily want to be a part of. Uh, but they've gotten so far away from that now. Uh, now, you know, the, the litmus test for union boss port in the, in the upcoming election is you better be willing to wipe out every single right-to-work law in the country um, with a federal law. Uh, and that's the baseline, and every candidate uh, – on the Democrat side so far, certainly every major candidate has come out for that. Uh, and unions are making it very clear that if, if they want uh, any union support, and unions uh, and uh, union officials spent over $2 billion on politics and lobbying, uh, according to their own numbers, 
from the last election cycle. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're 2020, they're, they're planning to spend even more, we believe. And um, you can be sure that uh, adherence to union boss power is uh, the very first thing that you have to check if you want a, an opportunity to, to get the support uh, that all those billions of dollars offers. Well, sadly, Donald Trump uh, did good at saying, hey, the American workforce is one of the greatest in the world. He did good by saying that because it's true. But he failed to, to really highlight the fundamentals that make that possible. That, and that is free association at the core of it. Uh, and I wish Donald would have taken an opportunity yesterday to really hit a grand slam, and he didn't do it. But Ron Paul, or Rand Paul has been standing pretty strong and sending out a lot of emails lately in support of this, uh, too. I wish we could get a hold of President Trump somehow to highlight this important reality. It's one thing to say we're the greatest workers, and it's a good point. But it's another thing to highlight what makes that so. Patrick. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And, and Rand Paul has been leading the charge on the National Right to Work Act. Uh, he's the sponsor in the Senate. Um, and uh, Joe Wilson is the sponsor in the House. And that one of the things that's, the, that's so great about that bill, I mean, it's obviously the, the, the fundamental principle and what it does for America, but it's a one page bill. And how many times, uh, you know, basically it's unheard of these days for there to be a bill that short in Congress. Um, and yet that's what it is, because all it does is it strips out of federal law the various aspects that authorize forced union dues. So it takes the line from the National Labor Relations Act that lets union bosses impose forced union dues on workers and it eliminates it. It does the same thing from the Railway Labor Act, which forces airline and railway uh, workers uh, to pay dues or be fired. And it eliminates that from federal law. And that's all it does. Um, and it's really simple, and uh, we are trying to build support for it, and Rand Paul is helping. Um, we do believe that uh, holding a vote on it, even though, I mean, obviously you can look at the, the House of Representatives right now and, and understand that this is not going to pass, but holding a vote in both the Senate and the House uh, would be advantageous because putting people on the record on this issue ahead of the 2020 election uh, should be a good thing in the long run because we know the American people – uh, unlike union bosses and unlike a lot of elected officials, they are overwhelmingly in support of right to work. Uh, the last national poll uh, had something like 77 percent for it, 75 uh, percent of independents, the same about 80 uh, percent of Republicans, even uh, a majority of Democrats were in favor of this. Um, so th this is popular uh, and forcing politicians to take a stand on that issue uh, is really the aim uh, over the next year, uh, because we think in the long run that's what's going to get a Congress that can actually pass the National Right to Work Act. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, we're so close, but yet so far away, huh, Patrick? Yeah, it's you know it's a challenge. Uh, we have, of course, made a lot of progress in recent years. Uh, so we can talk about that after the break. All right, we'll do it. We can, I want to come back. We, we're so close, but so far away. And the reason I say that is because if we had the media that could really highlight this in an honest, open, fair way, I'm telling you to be a slam dunk. The pressure would happen. But when it's, you know, very few of us in the media and limited resources and dollars, we're doing a tremendous work. Uh, but we got to make it ubiquitous and mainstream. And that's the tough challenge. Uh, Patrick Simmons with us, righttowork.org in seconds. Do we reflect about our future and where we as a culture are moving? Do we keep our trust in our jobs, homes, money, life necessities, investments, stock markets? 
Do we believe that our 401ks or other retirements will always be there and that the current economic order will recover? Is the economy going to recover and life return to normal? It ain't gonna happen by a friend of Medjugorje. Whether you are poor, middle class, or rich, it ain't gonna happen. A book of astounding revelations about the present economic order and where we are heading. It ain't gonna happen by a friend of Medjugorje. To order, visit medj.com, spelled N-E-J.com, or call Caritas in the U.S. 205-672-2000. Why don't we say to the government writ large that they have to spend a little bit less? Anybody ever had less money this year than you had last? Anybody better have a 1% pay cut? You deal with it. That's what government needs, a 1% pay cut. If you take a 1% pay cut across the board, you have more than enough money to actually pay for the disaster relief. But nobody's going to do that because they're fiscally irresponsible. Who are they? Republicans. Who are they? Democrats. Who are they? Virtually the whole body is careless and reckless with your money. So the money will not be offset by cuts anywhere. The money will be added to the debt, and there will be a day of reckoning. What's the day of reckoning? The day of reckoning may well be the collapse of the stock market. The day of reckoning may be the collapse of the dollar. When it comes, I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you it has happened repeatedly in history when countries ruin their currency. With news the networks refuse to use. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right, I got a soundbite. I never do this to Patrick because I want to focus on what Patrick has to say, but I, I want to play a soundbite. Uh, I was literally traveling in the south in Alabama the other day, and I came across an AT&T strike. I, I kid you not. Uh, and, and so I basically turned my car around, and I ran out there with my tape recorder man, and I interviewed this guy. Uh, it, it's a regional AT&T strike. Are you familiar with what happened here, Patrick? Yeah, they were out for about four or five days uh, yeah. you know, in a lot of southern states. There. All right, so listen, here's my interview really quick, and then I want you to respond to it, okay? Here we go. All right, Sam Bush, we're reporting live. We've got an AT&T strike going on. We pulled up to ask questions. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you? Excellent. Your name? This is Timothy McCool. Hi, Timothy. And what, what's your role? Are you the uh, team leader or what? I'm the area vice president of the Communications Workers of America. Okay, so that's a union? It is a union. Okay, and that union, what, contracts with AT&T? That's right. Okay, and tell me how it is. What's going on? Uh, we're trying to renegotiate a contract with AT&T. Our contract expired, and we're bargaining right now, and AT&T is refusing to bargain with us in good faith. So we're not going back to work right now. So they're saying they won't even sit down at the table to discuss? Uh, that's that. We've been told they're sending people to negotiate with us, and the... Only representatives at and is providing are don't have the authority to to negotiate with us. In other words, we're not going to tell you anything we're going to do. We just want to get all your crap on the table yeah, that's as a right. negotiating tactic. That's right. I get it. So let me ask you this. Do they want the contract to remain the same, or are they trying to change the terms, or what? Uh, they've made a lot of proposals that are retrogressive that would mean that uh, our, our union members would be giving up some of the things that we fought for in the in, past. In other words, you're saying contractually things expire yep. or things change uh, by the nature of the contract. They are trying to make that happen. That is correct. And you're 
you're saying, wait a minute, no, we're supposed to sit down before that happens. That's right. Okay. And what do you think is the timetable, or what, what do you think standing outside uh, AT&T is going to do? I mean, is that to, to bring attention? Is that because you think it'll force them to sit down? Uh, we're hoping we can get somebody at the negotiations table who can has some authority that can make some concessions on behalf of the company, and maybe we can settle a new contract and get these guys back to work. But for now, we sit out here as long as it takes. And so you have uh, at AT&T decided you're not going to work until this gets resolved. Right? As long as it takes. And, and what uh, workers does this um, relate to? In other words, uh, how, what is this group uh, role point in AT&T? Uh, this will affect U-verse service, uh, AT&T's... Okay, but hold on. You're going to have to talk English to me because I'm not a U-verse uh, guy and I don't know. I'm sorry. U-verse is AT&T's high-speed internet service Got and okay. television service, also direct TV and the wireline telephone service. Okay. I'm not saying you don't know what you're talking about. I'm saying I don't. All right. No right. problem. I got it. Okay. So it relates to their digital services uh, and TV. That's right. And okay. the phone service. And does that mean the workers that are out on the lines doing things, or does that mean the people in the call centers? What does it mean for the average person? Uh, the billing services, uh, the the utility services, and the wireline services are all, at this moment, not being manned by, by union workers. So what does that mean? They're being manned by people or automation or what? Uh, at this time, they are either not being... We're either not performing the work or perhaps they've got some contractors or management from AT&T is, is having to go out and do that work. So let me ask you, does that mean they're calling in scabs or what? Uh, I'm not trying to trap you. I'm just saying, does that I, mean they're having other people that are in place that aren't, that aren't involved in the union? They're bringing in uh, non-union people. That's, that's true. All right. I'm not trying to trap you with the words. I'm just trying to understand, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So um, how broad spread is this? Uh, this is in the southeast region of the United States, so uh, several states, up to nine states in our region. And this protest is going on today for multiple locations? That's right. And how many people are at each location? I mean, how big is this? Uh, in our location, we probably got 40 people total that were here all, you know, throughout the day. But uh, in our district, we've got over 20,000 members. Okay. And what's the reaction from the public? Uh... It's been mixed. Some people are coming and going, yeah, good work, guys, and other people are going, go back to work. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that is exactly right. It's, it's mixed. Some people are, are supportive and some seem indifferent. And that's usually how it is when yeah. I get it. Right, is there any violence? No, there's been no violence. That's good, right? Yeah. And what are you guys actually asking for? I get that they're trying to let some contractual realities expire or change. What do you guys want? Are you saying, I want more money, I want better benefits, I want days off? What are your general terms? And I know you can't give it to me contractually, you're just having me, the public understand, right? Yeah, the goal of this strike is to encourage AT&T to come to the table and bargain in good faith. That's all we're asking for at this moment is that they will negotiate. And is it possible for you to go back to work uh, if they say we'll sit down? Or do you have to have the contract inked and finalized by a deadline? What's the parameters? If we get some movement toward negotiation, then we can go back to work. Okay. And uh, what if somebody goes against the strike that uh, works? What happens? Uh, it's, it's certainly discouraged if one of our members uh, wants to continue working during a strike. Uh, they have the right to, but we definitely discourage it. But what happens, though? If they break the line, is there repercussions? Uh, it's possible they could be fined by the union or, or perhaps uh, receive some discipline from the union, like uh, suspension from our union. But uh, there wouldn't be any any other repercussions. Uh, I understand. Sure. 
Is Alabama a right to work state? Yes, it is. It is. Is that good or no? Well, we don't think it's good. No, we'd like we'd like to have 100% participation in our union, and we'd like for all of our employees to join our union and come out and participate in our actions. But that that that's not the law. Uh, is it kind of like the Hotel of California? <laughs> you can check it anytime you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> no, definitely nope. not. <laughs> All right, I'm just kind of teasing. I'm just kidding. All right, I appreciate it. And what um, if you were to say anything to AT&T? What would you say? One uh, statement. One statement. We, we just want to finalize a contract and get these guys back to work. And what would you say to America, to the people? Uh, show us some support. If you see our guys on the line, honk at us. Bring us a cup of water or something. And what they're going to say is, you, you speed up my internet, buddy. I'll bring you some food. I'll bring you lemonade, bro. Hey, get me back to work. I can help you. <laughs> Understood. All right. Well, thank you for your time, sir. I appreciate right. it. And I hope I've done fair. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the public that I didn't cover? Uh, solidarity. All right. I want to be as fair as I can. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Thank you, much. sir. You betcha. Patrick Simmons, you didn't realize I could best the journalists, now did you? That was a good interview. It's more in-depth than you hear uh, most of the, the times when, when people are talking about strikes in the media. And the interesting part is he came across very common sense. I don't know that I could argue with a lot of his points if that's really the case on the ground, right? Yeah, well, the interesting backstory is so they, they went out and uh, four days later they ended the strike. Um, they're basically weren't any particular concessions. They, they just called them back in, whether that's because of lack of support from rank-and-file workers, or maybe they did get AT&T to come back um, and talk to them more. But uh, that, that's where we're at now. Um, there were- but you heard him in this. It was a, it was a regional uh, strike, but in this one place that I was talking to, there was only like 40 people out there the whole day, he said. That's nothing, yeah. sir, nothing. Yeah, well, they, they say that there were 20,000 workers in nine states uh, affected by the strike, but that doesn't mean that they were all out on the picket line. You know, it, it, those are, that's the number of people under these particular contracts that are at issue. Which are, means these people may be forced not to work, but it doesn't mean they're going to advocate. They're just kind of sitting on the sidelines going, what the crap, let me go back to work, whatever. They're pretty apathetic as well. Yeah, well, we see that a lot, and... Um, you know, there, there were some, some mentions there of, of fines and that sort of thing, and that's an area that National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation gets involved in because the fact is workers have the right uh, to work during a strike, uh, and they can do that. There's, there's nothing the union can do to stop them, um, but if they remain union members and do it, they can be subject to fines, but if they resign their union membership before going back to work, then they're free and clear, um, Unions may try and find them, and we've seen them find people thousands of dollars a day for working through a strike. But if they resign ahead of time, those are unenforceable. And uh, we've taken a lot of cases for workers who have uh, said, you know, look, what's best for me, what's best for my family uh, is continuing to work. I want the paycheck. I, I don't think it, it's unfair, the conditions that I'm being uh, – that, that I'm working under – uh, and so they'll go back to work, and then the union officials will try to intimidate people and threaten them and that sort of stuff. And um, But most of the time, there, there are ways to, for workers to protect their rights, uh, basically by resigning from the union, which gets you out of all that internal union disciplinary action that the union enforces against work uh, members. And he didn't want to say that in the interview, but he was forced to say it because I said, is this a right to work state? And he said, yes, would like everybody to be part of the union, but that's not the law. Those were his words. So he admitted the truth uh, if you pay attention. 
Yeah, and he did. He did mention that, um, and you know that's it's one of the things that's a big check on on union bosses in right to work states. If if this strike um, has you know overwhelming support from rank and file workers, uh, they'll probably be just fine and they'll get everyone to join it. But if they don't, they go too far. Workers actually have a choice. You know what, Patrick? We normally let you go at thirty, but we've got more. Do you have a minute to stay? I can stay for uh, one more second. All right, stay there if you would. This is just fascinating and good stuff. It's reality. It's on the ground. It highlights what's going on. This is the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. And the Southeast United States prepares for a visit from now Category 3 Hurricane Dorian. The Northwest Bahamas are still getting torrential rains from it. The Red Cross's Steve McAndrew is on Grand Bahama. When it, the storm is stationary, those winds continue going in a circular fashion, but the storm itself does not move on, and it continues to dump large amounts of rain. The storm killing at least five and injuring about about two dozen in the Bahamas, and now it's headed for the east coast of Florida, where it will skirt the coast, head up to Georgia, and then the Carolinas. 1,200 flights are canceled today because of the storm. Reversing itself, the Trump administration now will not cancel a program that helps seriously ill migrants avoid being deported while they're getting life-saving care. And this is USA Radio News. Friends, I'm so appreciative of all of the things that you've done in patronizing MyPillow. So is Mike Lindell. You've built MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow and the inventor, wants to give back to you. You can get deep discounts right now on all MyPillow products. If you go to MyPillow.com, click on the new radio listener special. Maybe you want Giza Dreams bed sheets. Maybe you want a MyPillow of your own. Maybe you want a MyPillow pillow to take with you on vacation you go to mypillow.com click on the new radio listener specials use my promo code usa and remember you got nothing to lose 60 day money back guarantee 10 year warranty go to mypillow.com click on the new radio listener specials you get deep discounts on all my pillow products only if you use promo code usa and by the way you can call 1-800-951-8175 and get the same savings Chaos again in Kabul, Afghanistan. This the sound after a Taliban suicide attack in the Afghan capital. At least 16 people killed, over 100 people injured. The Monday attack coming just hours after the U.S. had said it had agreed in principle to withdraw about 5,000 troops from Afghanistan. Police in Elkmont, Alabama, north of Birmingham, say a 14-year-old boy has confessed to murdering all five members of his family last night. The boy reportedly called 911 to say he heard shots fired, but later reportedly confessed to pulling the trigger himself. Comedian and actor Kevin Hart is recovering after being injured in an early Sunday morning car crash in Southern California. Yesterday, his wife told reporters... He's great. Is he, is he going to pull through fully, you think? Yeah. You can find us online anytime. We're at usaradio.com.
ladies and gentlemen, who has better coverage of the regional strike over at AT&T covering nine states and 20 plus thousand workers? Who has better coverage of this than Sam Bushman, Kurt Crosby on Liberty Roundtable Live, okay? We had a guy live on the street in the strike begging for water. 40 people out there, not representative really of his union as far as I can see. Uh, nevertheless, Sam covers regional AT&T strike on scene in Alabama. Now we've got Patrick Simmons, the other side of the discussion, um, talking about this, saying, hey, you know what? This is what's really going on from his perspective. Uh, Patrick, this, in my opinion, is some of the best coverage long form that anybody's going to get, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. You know, it's it's more in-depth. It's, it's usually uh, you read these stories about a strike, and it's two sentences from the union, two sentences from the company. No one talks to the, the real workers on the ground, uh, the ones affected by this. That sort of thing. So it's uh, it's interesting to be able to look into that and, and get that perspective, um, and then kind of pull away and, and look at the the context of it all and, and how our labor laws affect us. How the fact that all the states this has taken this particular strike took place and was right to work, and how that uh, lets workers hold the union accountable because they can leave and cut off dues if they want. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. And this, I think, highlights really importantly, I think that guy on the ground, that Tim guy that I talked to, now he might be savvy for the media, you know, but I think he was honest and fair. He highlighted the law that, you know what, people can use leave a union. It's a right-to-work state. People can do what they want in the state of Alabama, uh, et cetera. And, and I think the guy was pretty open and honest, although he wants 100% union participation. And there's no way to obtain that 100% without force uh what's interesting to me though some of these guys are, are you know they might be middle management i don't know what their leadership in the unions but most of the time it's that they don't understand what the leadership is really doing with the money and how um forced or compulsory it really is and once they get sight of those realities they change their tune in a hurry uh, otherwise they seem to be pretty satisfied and happy with the union but when you have a, a twenty thousand workers uh, across these nine states, then you have you know small teeny protests that the that the nation doesn't even know about. I just happen to drive by it and see it and stop and say, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna record this thing. It'll be a great uh, discussion for Sam and Patrick. And hey, I believe I gave that guy a chance to say everything he wanted to say. I didn't put you guys on at the same time because I'm not interested in an argument. I am interested in laying out the the reality and let the people decide because I think that's where uh, people gain a backbone and an understanding of what's really happening here, Patrick. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, he said, he mentioned that, uh, you know, he would prefer if they could force everyone to be part of it um, or 100% participation, I think is how he, he, he mentioned it. But they can work towards that when dues and, and union membership is voluntary. And that's one of the things that uh, goes back to something we were saying earlier. You know, unions, especially unions in right-to-work states, they have an incentive to attract as many workers as possible uh, but that often means, you know, changing what they're doing uh, with their political endorsements and that sort of thing. Or, uh, you know, cutting union boss salaries because it's, you know, it's outrageous that you have all sorts of union officials being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars at the same time when the workers they represent are getting a fraction of that. Um, and, they're you know, they're doing that just because they have forced dues. Those people can't do anything about it. Uh, you know, the, the United Auto Workers is having this massive uh, corruption scandal, and it keeps spreading. Uh, just last week, the FBI uh, raided the uh, home uh, of the current union president, the previous union president, um, a number of other union headquarter buildings, um, and 
you know, we're seeing uh, people there completely out of touch, and they've just, uh, you know, abandoned the rank and file. And one of the fascinating things that's come out of that is there was all this corruption at the headquarters, and the way they kept the middle kind of people in line, and they said, hey, you know, look, you got to let this go. Don't blow the whistle on this whole thing. Because if you do, we're going to send you back to work in a factory with the rest of the workers instead of having this cushy job at the union headquarters here. And so that was the threat that kept people in line, treating them like the workers that these people claim to represent. And uh, it just shows how out of touch uh, so many union bosses are with the rank and file, Um, but but how, you know, right to work uh, at least provides an incentive for them to be more – you know, representative of the actual workers uh, and not such a top-down organization. Interestingly enough, this captures what's really going on in America, and I think the media doesn't want to cover this. Why wouldn't they cover this story if it's a nine-state regional strike? Doesn't that uh, warrant a lot of coverage there? They might have had a blip in the news, but they're not getting anybody's arms around the real discussion of the argument of what the strike is about. I tried to dig into what they want. Uh, and what's changing and stuff like that. And, but I don't think they're, they're, they're just highlighting, hey, there's a strike out here. These people are thirsty. Bring them water, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you know, it, like I said, usually they just go to the – they call up the union headquarters and ask for a quote from the union president. Uh, but when, when you're there and you talk to some people who are just at a small protest, um, you know, on the side of the road, uh, and then you talk to them, you get a, you get a different story. Sometimes it's, you know, what – they don't. He didn't really seem to know exactly what they, what you know, the union was demanding. Um, part of that is because under the National Labor Relations Board, there are different standards depending on what type of strike it is. There's a strike that's called an unfair labor practice strike, and that's what they always want it to be because basically the union has more protection, um, legal special legal protections under that. And ability to get more hostile, right? Right. Versus an economic strike, where if you're saying purely, look, we just want more money, we want, you know. This, we want more vacation. If it's purely economic, uh, the protections that the union has against what the company can do to sort of keep its business running, you know, hiring replacement workers, that sort of thing, uh, becomes less union power there. So they'll. In other words, it has to do with what abuse level. If there's a greater right. abuse level, then the unions have more authority here to, to offset that, supposedly, is the theory, right? Right. And they'll say, look, this is an unfair labor practice strike. The union is or the company is refusing to negotiate, and they'll say that because that means uh, if they decide to end the strike, they can go and get their jobs back. Whereas if it's an economic strike and the, and the company's hired people because they said, look, we, you know, we have a business to run. we got other people who want to take these jobs. We're going to hire them. If, if it's an economic strike and the strike ends and they come back, not every single worker might have a job because someone might already have taken that job, and the company may say, we want to take the person who wanted to work, not the one who was was protesting against us for the last uh, few weeks or months. Or well, and they, when they say they won't negotiate, that's an interesting term, too, because there might have already been negotiations. There might have been a contract already set up. There might have been a uh, debate on agreement, and certain factions of the union wouldn't agree, and others were saying we should agree, and there might be an internal strife there. And the company might be saying, well, I'm going to sit this out and let you all you know, decide what you're going to do and not do and everything else, so we're going to put this on hold. Well, when they put it on hold now, they say you're refusing to, to talk to us more. And they're like, wait a minute, that's not – and oftentimes that's not really even accurate. Yeah, sure. I mean, a company will say, look, here's our, here's our offer. If you want to make a counter, make it. Um, but, you know, I mean, anyone who's done any type of negotiating knows you, you shouldn't negotiate against yourself. You, 
you make an offer and then you let the other side, you know, counter and then maybe you can you can build off of that. You don't say, here's our offer, and then they say, give us another one, and you just, you know, keep uh, making concessions and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, yeah, they, what what the message was, and you kind of get us through this, that he was probably getting, you know, emails or, or texts or whatever from, from headquarters saying, if anyone asks you, it's the company's refusal to bargain. That's why we're striking, because that's what keeps this strike with some extra legal protections for the union. Um, as opposed to, uh, you know, just simply not getting what they want in a contract negotiation. But here's what was interesting. When I used the term scabs were filling in, he didn't want to go there, buddy. <laughs> no, no, he, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, because, you know, I mean, it's always – that term has always been – it's so demeaning to, to workers, and it's one of the things the unions will use it. But really, I mean – what they're they're doing is insulting workers who make different choices about what's best for their family. Of course, and that's really their term, though, not necessarily mine. No, no, I know. Yeah, it, and that's it, why it, I used it because I wanted to see how he'd respond to it, uh, and he didn't want to touch it with a ten foot pole. He's like, "Well, there's non union workers working." Ooh, really? Now I didn't want to beat him up too hard, but that's something to explore. If there's non workers working, or I'm sorry, non union workers working, um, you know, hey, are they happy with the conditions they've got? Yeah, well, in often often cases they are, um, or they certainly don't think it's worth you know giving up their their daily uh, wages uh, to to try and protest it. You know, they may they may go and say there's a better way. I'm gonna you know talk to my supervisor and point out how hard I'm working, um, and uh, you know that could be the subject of a of a raise. Uh, and now you've got now you've got instead of this quote solidarity word he used, which I don't like that group solidarity stuff. I want individuals to be able to decide what they believe is best in a given situation, and that's where the volunteerism piece starts to really shine. If I want to go in and say, "Look, I think you're being uh, unfair and wrong to me," and I want to talk to my supervisor, and you know, there's a balance there, and volunteerism or voluntary association uh, makes that balance happen. Is the whole point. Patrick. Yeah, that's right. And, and solidarity is a term. When the unions use it, they mean forced solidarity. They mean coercion and, and government uh, intrusion. Um, but I, there, I think there would be a place for solidarity if it was voluntary. And, and that's kind of the point that, that we tried to make on Labor Day, and, and hopefully everyone takes away. Amen, my friend. I know we had other things to talk about. We'll do it next month. We sure appreciate you, man. Great stuff. Thank you, sir. All right. Great to be with you again, Sam. Thanks. All right. You know what? Liberty Roundtable Live, believe it or not, live on the scene with better reporting than anybody in the business. We're just tiny, folks. Every penny helps. LibertyRoundtable.com. Donate today. Imagine that, a nine-state regional strike. We were at the heart of it. Hey, listen up. This is a deep state alert. Former Texas Congressman Steve Stockman, who moved to arrest Lois Lerner for contempt of Congress, has been imprisoned by the very office that Lerner led. You heard right. Stockman hit the Obama administration hard, and they hit back with the full force of the federal government. The guy who said he wanted Mark Levin as Speaker of the House was the first to threaten Obama's impeachment, exposed Hillary's selling steel to the Iranians, and blocked both Obama's immigration and gun bills from even reaching the House. But Obama holdovers came after him in federal court with trumped-up charges and have locked our guy up. Like many others, he was on Obama's hit list. Steve fought for us in Congress. Now we need to fight for him. Don't abandon this wounded hero on the battlefield. Let's help cover his massive legal costs. To chip in five bucks or more, text the word FIGHT to 444-999. That's FIGHT, F-I-G-H-T, to 444-999. Or go to DefendAPatriot.com. That's DefendAPatriot.com. You know where the solution can be found, Mr. President? In churches, in wedding chapels, in maternity wards across the country and around the world. 
More babies will mean forward-looking adults, the sort we need to tackle long-term, large-scale problems. American babies in particular are likely going to be wealthier, better educated, and more conservation-minded than children raised in still industrializing countries. As economist Tyler Cowen recently wrote, quote, by having more children, you're making your nation more populous, thus boosting its capacity to solve climate change. The planet does not need for us to think globally and act locally so much as it needs us to think family and act personally. The solution to so many of our problems at all times and in all places is to fall in love, get married, and have some kids. What do you think of that, Kurt? A nine-state regional big old strike going on. Not a lot of coverage from the media. Most people don't even know about it. Sam Bushman interviews live on the ground. Has Patrick Simmons respond? Both sides of the discussion covered in detail. Nobody got in a big old brawl or beat anybody up. Nobody. We just agreed to disagree agreeably, but we laid it out for the American people to figure it out. And, um, you know, I just find that interesting how, you know, we're just tiny, no money literally at all. And I take a little recorder out there, see the strike, pull over in my vehicle doing something else and get the on-the-scene reporting uh, and then bring it back and, and, and deliver it via your radio. I mean, it's amazing. It seems like a lot of hot topics. We just have somebody on the ground all the time. Well, that's a great point, Sam, and um, it's it's uh, tremendous. I've seen you do that uh, before and uh, your little uh, recorder uh sticking it there for the guys and it gets good audio it i mean it was uh, very well done i thought and uh, like you say the guy uh, was uh, good as well and he handled it i mean it was well done on both sides i thought and I think Patrick uh, really uh, delivered to instead of just attacking the guy, he kind of educated about how some of this stuff works. And see, to me, that's informative radio. Agree or disagree with forced unionism? I disagree. I think voluntary unionism is phenomenal. Free association is incredible. I love it all, but I don't like the forced aspects of things or the compulsory education or unions or anything else. I don't believe in compulsion. Um, nevertheless, I would say that, uh, you know, it was a fair interview where you can kind of understand the strike, understand the different sides of the equation and. You know, I hope to do great reporting. Sam covers regional AT&T strike on scene in Alabama. Wow. All right. Here's the question. Uh, some email uh, that I got, Kurt, highlighted. Donald Trump says they're going to be negotiating for gun control behind the scenes, and they're going to roll out a plan. Democrats, Republicans, everybody. The Donald Award, sad to say. But here's what they're saying is going to happen, Kurt. I don't know if this is true, but here's the question. Will interviews with federal agents soon be required to keep your firearms, Kurt? And people are saying that's really going to be the case. What do you say? It wouldn't surprise me, although uh, I sure hope that it's not the case. I agree, but you know what? I think they're going to do something like that. Here's the problem that I have with all that, Kurt. All the um, events that have happened, as far as I can see, um, these people have already had sordid histories. In other words, a lot of them have already had brushes with the, quote, federal agents and stuff like that. So I'm not sure how that's going to solve it. And I certainly don't know that I believe the federal government has the authority to create interviews. And what if they interview a blind guy like me and say, you know what, Sam? We don't really believe 
that you should have firearms, Sam. I mean, I get it, but you know, you're blind. That's just not safe. That's just not good. That's just not right. That's crazy. And my response is I've lived 52 years on the planet and I haven't been violent or, you know, used a gun in any way in a negative manner. Um, but they would question my competence, wouldn't they, Kurt, or my ability or my, how would that go down? And then do I have as much right as the next guy? Or does being visually impaired or hearing impaired or whatever else, does that decrease your rights before the law, Kurt? What do you, what do you say to all that? Well, that's what, you know, uh, in this case, I think that's what they would do, don't you think? I mean, they just say, oh, then we can't let you to do that. And, and look at all this stuff you've said on the radio, Sam. Yeah. And that brings up a whole nother question. Let me ask you another question, Kurt. What if you do something crazy? Like um, maybe you have meth with you, Kurt. I mean raw honey with you. Then what? Well, See, last hour, last hour we That's highlighted crazy. this story just so everybody knows. This poor guy spent 82 days in jail on meth charges, but it turned out to be honey. He probably had some of that raw honey from Kurt Crosby. <laughs> I'm just saying this is where it just runs off the rails in a hurry. So I pray that uh, there's common sense here on this gun control thing. and We can back off and say good guys with guns are not the problem. All right. Mike Pence is in the news, Kurt. Yeah, he is, Sam. And, uh, you know, I thought uh, it was pretty amazing to me, uh, Mike Pence, uh, doing his normal, I think, pretty good stuff in this case it says uh from world net daily this uh, the headline reads the bible stays at va hospital facing lawsuit we will always respect the freedom of religion of every veteran of every faith i mean imagine that you can see why they'd be really ticked off with old mike pence you know well dude if you have the bible and then va hospitals and stuff like that people might actually take courage and hope and faith from it kurt I know. Just think about it. I mean, it'd be crazy town, buddy. Dangerous stuff going on. Yeah, America. it'd be like them kids in the government schools. If they had the Ten Commandments, they might decide to not, you know. They might read it. They might act on it do what it says. <sighs> I mean, couldn't have that. I mean, what if, America. for example, Kurt, what if something crazy happened and those kids decided to honor their mother and father and stuff like that? Or be uh, kind and gentle to other people and stuff like that. I mean, you can see where this would really be dangerous, you know, right? Yes. Wow. Anyway, I just, I just find that interesting. Hospital. Yes, sir. Well, good for in Mike Pence and good for the, yeah. what, VA hospital in this case for standing up, Kurt, a little bit. That's right. And... Uh, uh, he says, the VA hospitals will not be religion-free zones. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, he, got, uh, uh, he said this in a speech addressing the American Legion National Convention in Indianapolis. He says, my message to the New Hampshire VA hospital is this, the Bible stays. Um, I'll tell you what, Sam, I mean, it's under attack like you've told us for a long time. Right? I hear that. All right, this dude's... I guess he stole 50 bucks, Kurt, which, by the way, we would recommend and encourage not to do. Nevertheless, we're talking some severe, harsh penalties on this one, bro. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Good point. The headline reads, a man who spent 36 years behind bars after stealing 50 bucks set free. 
uh, World Net Daily piece says, uh, subheadline, we've just been praying and trusting in God that this day would come. So, uh, you know, uh, kind of brings up the whole innocence in prison. Kind yes, of idea, sir. Doesn't it, Sam? Yeah, and we're not, you know, this is what's weird. You know, what does innocence in prison mean in this case? Because, you know, as far as I understand, this guy was guilty of the crime, Kurt. But here's why we right. say innocence in prison. $50 he stole. Now, you shouldn't steal 50 For bucks. For 36 years. But in my opinion, the guy might have, you know, hey, why don't you just put that guy out there and say you got to pay 50 bucks back, plus you got to do, you know, a bunch of days of community service and never do that again, sir. Yeah. Stop that. Okay, but 36 years, and I would say this guy's an innocent in prison. Yep. Because, I mean, even one day in prison, if you're going to just talk about dollars, if you got paid 50 bucks a day, which isn't very good work, right? Right. I mean, I'm not downing anybody that works for 56 bucks or 50 bucks, but I mean, if you got six bucks an hour and you spend eight hours, that's not even minimum wage or whatever. And I don't even understand it. I mean, it's just insanity. And that's kind of what we're talking about is who's going to bring sanity to the discussion. All right. Two stories about unions. We should have gotten to these a little quicker, but we're just grabbing it as we can find it. Uh, So we're doing the best we can live and it's fresh radio. And that's why some of this happens is, hey, we're researching the news as we talk on the radio and more. One about Donald. What about Biden? Both regarding unions. Kurt? Yeah, the uh, headline from Breitbart, union bosses fear workers will stick with Trump. And they said it's a serious problem. <laughs> I mean, why? why would those why would those union uh, workers want to stick with the president? Because maybe they maybe believe he's because... providing jobs and bringing back the economy and everything else like most of us believe, Kurt. I mean, imagine that, Sam. I mean... Uh, then you've got the headline from Brian Bart. Biden vows to be champion for unions after working to offshore their job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, you I'll tell you what, it's, uh, I mean, it's interesting times, right? Well, who are you going to trust? Joe? Joe Biden? I mean, nutty Grandpa Joe or, or Donald? paycheck, maybe. See, I'd trust you know, Joe Biden way before um, Biden, that's for sure. All right, Penny Starr's in the news, Kurt. That's right, uh, Sam. She's an author, and the headline reads, uh, Donald Trump is right about mental illness and mass shootings, you know. Um, and uh, you don't hear it brought up very much, but all they want to do is get rid of the guns. They don't want to even address this issue, do they, right? No, they don't want to talk about it at all, but I think it's important. I think Penny Starr's right. Uh, we need to talk about mental illness and why do we have so much mental illness and what can we do to reduce mental illness? And, you know, I read a big article today talking about mental illness. If you can catch it early for people and if you can put them in the right organizational settings that have a, a, a group, a support group and catch it early to where oftentimes they say in this program where they work with people, they don't even need drugs, Kurt, except for rare occasions. See, that's something interesting. But see, who's talking about all that? I don't really see a whole lot of talk about it, uh, but I commend it. Well, right. see, the problem with that, Sam, is it doesn't get rid of the guns. And, uh, that's and it doesn't whole, put people on drugs. That's right. But it is that's the answer, and they, even experts are now saying it works, Kurt. I mean, imagine that. And imagine if then in this tightened labor market, people got jobs, Kurt. I guess Trump's doing that too, right? Well, you know, I mean, it shows a picture of a guy on a wheelchair, Sam, and uh, talks about how, uh, well, in the 
tightened labor market, some dream job, dream jobs that, you know, people really would like to get are even available for disabled Americans. I mean, in other words, you don't have to force the uh, minimum wage to go up when there are better jobs available. People can move up and uh, employers can pay more and people can have their, quote, dream job. It might be for a guy like in a little wheelchair might be working at, you know, Walmart, but at least he can have that. Amen. In the old days. And it's good for all when there's more jobs than a Titan labor market. For sure, it means that business is booming, and we got to like that. I want to end on a phenomenal story hour. We've talked about these guys in the past many a times whenever there's disaster and, and hurricanes going on and, and whatever. Uh, they're called the Cajun Navy, Kurt. They're not really the Navy, but they call themselves that, and they do a phenomenal job. Kurt? Well, that's right, Sam. And uh, right now with the old Hurricane Dorian and all that kind of stuff, you know, these guys are gearing up. Uh, it's called the Cajun Navy, and and uh, this is a Breitbart piece. <laughs> but the bottom line is the good, ordinary Americans, hardworking, good people are just getting ready to help their friends and neighbors, and they're getting their boats out and their trucks out, and they're making sure they're ready. And, man, compare that to uh, just calling in FEMA, man, you, you <laughs> the Cajun Navy, baby. Whoa. And these guys aren't really the Navy at all, but they nickname themselves that because they have boats. They live in, what, the South? So that's why it's the Cajun. Uh, and they basically just get out and start rescuing and helping and providing water and rescue and safety. And they get in their boats and just float around in these crazy storms and do just a phenomenal work. It's very dangerous for them to do this, but it's a lot of uh, ministering and a lot of self-sacrifice, and we commend them and support them in their efforts. Thank the heavens for good people doing good things uh, everywhere. The Cajun Navy gearing up to respond to Hurricane Dorian. And uh, good for them. We commend them and thank them for their service. How many news outlets are going to do that, Kurt? I hope a lot. We'll do our can to make sure that it's a lot. All right, if you find our efforts worthy in the news, man, we got to work for you every day, six days a week, two hours a day. If you find our efforts worthy, please reciprocate and donate. Every penny will help us grow our presence in the media. LibertyRoundTable.com, donate there. And live and on-demand radio, always at your fingertips free. For Sam and Kurt, we declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.